Father Yahweh, Master of the Universe, Creator of all things, Father, we come to you today on this Sabbath. We ask you to be with us today, Father. Allow us to keep our thoughts on you. Allow us to open up your word and unveil your truth, Father, and give us strength in these latter days. We ask all this through the name of your precious Son, Yahshua the Messiah. Hallelujah. May you all be seated. You're expecting to hear a different, weird, and borderline bizarre type of sermon today. You'd be right. (laughs) To tackle a subject like UFOs is to discuss the bizarre. I do have a disclaimer. The subject matter that I am covering today is from my own studies and understanding, and it's not official YRM teaching. So you're not going to find this in booklet form anywhere. To even mention the UFO phenomenon is taboo for some. In the past, to even address this subject, you were put in the tinfoil hat category. But that is all changing. Not just in pulp culture, but also in government. Genesis, or Bereshith in Hebrew, which means in the beginning, gives us much detail about the creation of our universe and man. But it doesn't give us the full story. You must turn to the New Testament to fill in the gaps as it relates to the spirit realm and the supernatural. Genesis gives us this beautiful story of creation and how a perfect world became flawed. But as we read through the Bible, we see not only the rebellion of man, but also the rebellion of angels. And we see that in the New Testament. Revelation 12, 7 to 9. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Yahshua says in Luke 10.18 that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. We're going to get back to that in a minute. I want you to keep that in your mind as we talk about this. Many who believe in the Bible will not acknowledge the possibility of UFOs because of the implications. And they are pretty severe if you think about it. If UFOs are alien technology, as we are told from Hollywood, the media, and TV, and they are here from another planet, then our faith in the Bible collapses like a house of cards. So for many to even acknowledge that they exist is paramount to denying your faith in the, in the faith that we have in Yahweh and the Bible. But I believe the subject is of incredible importance, and those who ignore this are setting themselves up for great end-time deception that will come on the earth so suddenly the faith of even believers could come into question. Today's message is meant to be a shift in thought and perception Not just in our view of the supernatural, but in the perception of what we have been programmed to believe from worldly sources. As soon as people hear the term UFO, they automatically think aliens. And this is precisely what Satan wants them to think. I've watched numerous 
shows on television about this subject. I've seen numerous reporters talk about this subject. Instantly, they jump to aliens from another planet, when we know UFO simply means unidentified flying object. I believe this alien deception will have people worshiping Satan and his fallen angels before the return of the Messiah. We already have scientists who believe that we have been seated here by extraterrestrials. I have heard scientists make comments like, we hope we can make contact with advanced beings. They're looking for life right now. And they can solve our problems of clean energy, climate change, and war. You hear this all the time. This is, our, this is the big problem we have. My question is, will the man of sin use this? Yahshua warns of great deception in Matthew 24, 24. For there shall arise false messiahs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. One has to ask, what are these great signs and wonders? In the book of Luke, Yahshua gives us a glimpse into the time before he returns. In chapter 21, 25, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then in verse 27, he tells us, After these things, we will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud of power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then Yahshua tells them this interesting parable about the fig tree. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of Elohim is near. I believe we are seeing that fig tree start to sprout. And this fig tree is a deception from Satan by way of the media, movies, and even our own government. The veil of truth will be so unbelievable that the faith of believers everywhere will be put to the test. Can you advance the slide? You may have seen this guy on TV. His name is... Luis Elizondo, he's the former Pentagon head of a secret organization on UFO investigation started by Democrat Senator Harry Reid and a group of bipartisan senators in 2007. He has recently went public regarding this UFO phenomenon and the U.S. involvement in it. You may have seen him on CNN, Fox, and other networks in recent months. He seems to make the rounds everywhere. The current description of these objects has now changed, by the way, from UFO, because I guess of the negative connotation, to um, UAP, or Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. Government acknowledging the existence of UFOs has never happened in the history of this country. We must ask the question, why? Why now? Especially in this, this era of COVID that we seem to be having ourselves, finding ourselves trapped in. I want to play a section of video from a new documentary from Seven News in Australia called The UFO Phenomenon, detailing the secret Pentagon program with Elizondo and why the cat has now been let out of the bag, so to speak. Go ahead, Lucas. What were the primary revelations in that story that made people, probably for the first time, sit up and say, wow, UFOs are real? 
Well, I think there were two. The first revelation was that there was a secret program within the Pentagon that had started in 2007 that had been studying these objects. So this had been for 10 years, secretly being studied. Now, you don't have a program studying UFOs if there's nothing to them. The second revelation was the Nimitz case that happened in 2004. There's a lot more to that case than we were able to report, but we got that case out there in the public. On the day in question, November 14, 2004, the USS Nimitz was performing drills off the southern Californian coastline ahead of deployment to the Persian Gulf. Another ship involved in the exercise was the USS Princeton. Manning the radar on board the Princeton was Kevin Day. For him, it was a very important day, a chance to play war games. We were going to do high-fidelity air defense training. We launched the good guys off the Nimitz, launched the notional bad guys off the beach, and they go at it. But it wasn't the bad guys appearing on his screen that caught his eye. Instead, a formation of unidentified flying objects. I thought it was civilian related and they didn't even know we were out there. The only reason why I became concerned with these is because of that air defense exercise. Cap comes down to comment, hey sir, um, you know we've been tracking these objects for days now. If we launch aircraft and we hit one of these, someone's gonna ask you and me both why we were so curious. It's a very persuasive argument. What did the captain say? He looks at me sternly, you're right, senior chief. Intercept and VID, visually ID it. And Commander Fravor happened to be airborne. Top gun train guy. And as he began to close the gap, the Tic Tac recognized and began to react to his movement. It sees him and he recognizes as a fighter pilot that it's engaging with him. And so he's spiraling down like this. It's coming up to him. And he's in a dogfight. And he screams out to his colleagues, I'm engaged! So it's intelligently responding. It is to his absolutely movement. intelligent responding so to his actions. Very, that's very important, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's this not is. A, it's not a dumb object. Correct. And it began to take evasive maneuvers to counter and maintain distance between his aircraft that was closing in. By the way, an F 18 at the time, Super Hornet, one of the most premier aircraft on the planet at the time. And this thing had no problem keeping pace. You're seeing whatever this object was. Yeah, I'm seeing it on radar. So I'm you're picking it. it up on radar I'm at the seeing time. him do the intercept. And as soon as he's at the merge plot, that object went away from 28,000 feet to the surface of the ocean in 0.78 seconds. And then all of a sudden, bam, it's gone. Bing, disappears instantaneously. Five seconds later, you can do the math. One of the radar operators radios into the F-18 and says, sir, you're not gonna believe this, but the object is now waiting for you at your cap point. The cap point was an aerial rendezvous point 60 miles away, known only to a handful of Navy personnel and pilots. They go to their cap point. It's a secret. Nobody's meant to know this outside of the briefing room of the USS Nimitz. They get to the cap point and what's there waiting for them? The Tic Tac. It's there, it's waiting for them. It knows they're coming. 
the cap point, the meeting point in the air, you know, where the planes were going. So there's obviously some kind of intelligence there. I've had people explain this to me, some of the fighter pilots involved and some of the defence officials who've investigated this. They've said that it's the fact that it was flagging to the most sophisticated, the most highly trained weapon systems in the American military. It's literally poking its tongue out at them. It's saying, I know you're there, I know where you're coming, your technology is hopeless against mine. It was showing its superiority to the most powerful country on earth. That was the decisive turning point for the US military. The accelerations that were observed would destroy five or ten times over any craft that we can design or build today. No visible propulsion system. No visible propulsion, no obvious signs of lift, no wings, no rudders, no control surface, no ailerons, no elevators, no cockpit, no rivets. My gosh. We're going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots from the west. There were radical maneuvers that just are impossible for us to, to perform and to conceive of. I mean, we just don't know how anybody can do that. We just don't understand it. There has been successive revelations, statements made by active and retired members of the intelligence community and military, the release of the three DOD videos, and the acknowledgement that the phenomenon is real. That doesn't give you goosebumps. I don't know what does. According to uh, Elizondo, these objects have instantaneous acceleration. The average human being can experience nine Gs. Those are G-forces for a short amount of time before we pass out. And an F-18 Super Hornet can take about 17 Gs before structural failure. These objects are somewhere in the neighborhood of 600 or more Gs. They can even just instantaneously appear from one area to the other, uh, like it did there 60 miles away at their cap point, which is unbelievable. How could that happen? That's not the Russians, I can tell you that. That's not the Chinese. We're dealing with something supernatural here. They also display hypersonic velocity with no sonic boom. Transmedium travel, they can operate in Earth's atmosphere and underwater at the same speeds and G-forces. So they can literally travel underwater at 600 Gs. No resistance like we would have if we have a submarine. They defy gravity. They have no wings or visible propulsion. What we are seeing is something that transcends the laws of physics that we know it and that as we as human beings are confined to that Yahweh has given us and bound us by. We're also dealing with objects that appear to move interdimensionally. And speaking of interdimensionally... What were the prime... There it is. This is known as, some people call it an atom smasher or a particle accelerator... This is in Geneva, Switzerland. It's home to the world's largest particle accelerator, which is 27 kilometers long. And if you think that's big, scientists are planning on building a 100-kilometer-long atom smasher that could reach energy levels seven times higher than this one at Geneva. It seems scientists are trying to make a wormhole on Earth 
and you can look this up. It's right there for everyone to see. Wikipedia, everyone explains this. They theorize they can, they can be used as a time machine or a door to another dimension. They hope to send back matter in time or forward to the future. They want to send messages back in time or into the future and communicate. So what ramifications will this have on society? Because scientists say that this is possible. This can be done. And I also believe this is what some of these, um, these crafts are doing. They're moving interdimensionally. I'll talk about that a little later. Will Yahweh allow this? Will man reach a point of fooling with Yahweh's creation that he says, I'm done, enough's enough. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But the sake of the elect's sake, those days will be shortened, Yahshua says in Matthew 24. Here is a booklet by um, Dr. John Ankerberg. I actually had this for several years. Um, at least I read this several years ago. My grandfather had this in his library, and I remember reading it. I'd like to go over some of the facts that John Ankerberg brings out in this book. And if you're on the fence thinking that maybe these things are not demonic or part of the occult, then I really do urge you to find this booklet. He compiled various studies by those who claim to be abducted by aliens from around the world. The similarities he found between UFO encounters and the occult was shocking. In all cases, the entities communicated telepathically. They could also communicate vocally, but most of the time telepathically. The witnesses had an immense feeling of dread and fear in their presence, and the entities smelled like sulfur. I find an interesting correlation. As we know, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed with brimstone and, or sulfur. Psalms 11.6 says, He will rain fire and brimstone on the wicked. The second death will be in the lake of fire and brimstone, Revelation 21 tells us. Is it possible that these demons still have the smell of brimstone from their fall from heaven? I'd like to point out that many who dabble in the occult have similarities with those who claim to have contact with UFOs and the entities that come from them. Ankerberg goes as far as to say that all abductees that he has researched had been exposed to the occult in one way or another. Dr. Ankerberg points out similarities like poltergeist events, the ever-present experience of supposedly missing time, mental terrorism, profound and drastic personal personality changes, social notoriety and or stigma, dramatic continuing after effects and contacts with the entities, an initial intuitive sense of tremendous fear and frequent evil and numerous correlations to ancient paganism which haunt their relationship. This fear can be seen in a close encounter. I know we have some people from Africa actually on today, I heard. But there was a close encounter in Zimbabwe. I don't remember how many years ago this. It might have been in the, in the early 90s. It's well-documented. Sixty school children saw two slanty-eyed, small humanoid figures come from two landed UFOs behind their school. First, they felt an utter dread and fear, much like Ankerberg had documented. Some of the younger school children instantly labeled them as demons, a certain kind of demon. I can't think of the name that they believed existed in, around that area. But others said they were aliens. 
these, these beings telepathically spoke to them, warning that man is destroying the earth. This sounds eerily similar to the climate change narrative being perpetuated today. In this book, Ankerberg documents best-selling author Whitley Stryberg and his claims of UFO experiences. Stryberg has a strong background in the occult, and many of his best-selling books deal with the occult. His two UFO books have also been bestsellers. Communion, which was on the New York Times bestseller list for eight months, and its sequel, Transformation. Stryber has close encounters with what he believes are alien beings. I don't really want to go through all of this, but I really do feel that this is pertinent to what we're talking about here. Um, And I really feel that you have to to know this. So I'm going to go through this, and um, it's a bit scary, but I think important. Stryber says, I became entirely given over to extreme dread. The fear was so powerful that it seemed to make my personality completely evaporate. Whitley, which is his first name, ceased to exist. What was left was a body and a state of raw fear so great that it swept about me like a thick suffocating curtain, turning paralysis into a condition that seemed close to death. I died and a wild animal appeared in my place. I had been captured like a wild animal on December 26, right after Christmas on my head, and rendered helpless. They had changed me, done something to me. I could sense it clearly that night, but I could not articulate it. I wondered if there was any relationship between my experience and the mystic walk of the shaman or the night ride of the witch. you got to think this guy is into the occult. I was doubly worried now for my sanity. The visitors persisted in my mind like glowing coals. Whatever this was, it had been involved with me for many years. I really squirmed. Stryber's recollection of his encounters with the aliens is reminiscent of other demonic visits, including the smell of sulfur, for example. I had an awful feeling. I felt their presence. It was palpable. Most upsetting, I could smell them. He describes one of the aliens as what seemed almost to be a demon with a narrow face and dark slanted eyes. It spoke to me in a high, squeaky voice. In Transformation, the sequel to Communion, Stryber continues to wonder about both the nature and the motives of the UFO entities. Why were my visitors so secretive, hiding themselves behind my consciousness? I could only conclude that they were using me and did not want me to know why. What if they were dangerous? Then I was terribly dangerous because I was playing a role in acclimatizing people to them. Eventually, he realizes he was embroiled in a battle that might claim much more than his physical existence. Quote, increasingly I felt as if I were entering a struggle that might even be more than life or death. It might be a struggle for my very soul, my essence, or whatever part of me might have reference to the eternal. There are worse things than death, I suspected. So far, the word demon had never been spoken among the scientists and doctors who were working with me. Alone at night, I worried about the legendary cunning of demons At the very least, I was going stark, raving mad. Stryber became tormented. Quote, I could not dispel my fear. I had already determined that not one human soul knows a single certain thing about the visitors. Nobody. He also realized that the entities could not be trusted. I couldn't get any reassurance from the visitors. I couldn't get even a breath of a promise, let alone a guarantee that they wouldn't hurt me. 
Anchorbird makes this comment, but hurt him they did time and time again, brutally and sadistically. Is it surprising that he recalls other sensings of the demonic? Quote, I wondered if I might not be in the grip of demons, if they were not making me suffer for their own purposes or simply for their enjoyment. I felt an absolutely indescribable sense of menace. It was H-E-L-L on earth to be there in the presence of the entities, and yet I couldn't move. I couldn't cry out. I couldn't get away. I'd lay as still as death, suffering inner agonies. Whatever was there seemed so monstrously ugly, so filthy and dark and sinister. Of course they were demons. They had to be. And they were here, and I couldn't get away. Stryber was hooked, but he had no means of escape. Quote, my mind was thick with visitors. They were so terrible, so ugly, so fierce, and I was so small and helpless, I could smell the odor of theirs like greasy smoke hanging in my nostrils. Stryber's account should send shockwaves to all of us as it relates to UFOs and what they really are, which are fallen demonic angels. The Apostle Paul gives us some insight on these fallen angels in Ephesians 6.12. You want to turn there with me? Paul says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The interlinear has a more detailed, direct translation in the Greek, and I just took this right over the the uh, translation from the Greek. We wrestle against the cosmic powers of the darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The realms that Paul is speaking here are dimensions. It is In Greek, it's called eparonios, and it and has um, the meaning of a celestial sphere or a sphere of spiritual activities, Strong's uh, describes. We live on a physical sphere, the earth, but there is also a heavenly sphere or dimension that overlaps us in which we cannot see, but it is right here with us. My grandfather, uh, Don Mansager, used to teach of these spiritual dimensions. You guys, whoever from years ago might remember, maybe Randy, Jenny. And he used to use the analogy of a spiritual train station that could be right here overlapping us. We can't see it, but it's just as real in the spirit realm as the physical is to us. This layer between the physical and the spiritual is where demons cross. The UFO craft may be a device that they use to do so, or maybe it's just a deception and camouflage to what they really are. I honestly have no idea, and I don't think anybody else does. I have another video here of uh, Luis Elizondo, which I think you might find interesting. Sightings of unidentified flying objects have become so frequent in recent years that the U.S. government can no longer dismiss them. Do you believe that these UAPs are extraterrestrials? Do you believe that they're adversaries, foreign players of some kind, or something else entirely? I believe that it is non-human, that it's a non-human source. That could mean extraterrestrial, it could mean interdimensional, it could be something more exotic, ultra-terrestrial, something that's lived here for a long time. This is a Department of Defense official saying, stop looking at UFOs because they're demonic. 
correct. He said, Lou, I want you to stop, stop doing this. And I asked why, and he says, well, we already know what it is. He asked me point blank, have you read your Bible lately? He said, well, then you would know that these things are, are demonic. So that's Luis Elizondo admitting that a, a high-ranking official told him to stop investigating these things because we know they're demonic. That's, uh, to me, that's crazy that we actually have that video. So why would they believe that they're demonic? After doing some research, I believe they know this because the U.S. government has studied this phenomenon before on a small ranch in Utah in the Uintah Basin bordering the Ute Indian Reservation. Our government and an organization called NIDS researched UFOs. NIDS was privately funded by a man named Robert Bigelow. There he is. Bigelow made his fortune in the motel industry and owns budget inns and suites of America. You probably stayed there, maybe. He purchased this ranch that claimed to have very strange paranormal and bizarre events happen there. This property has been dubbed UFO Ranch because of the high number of sightings over this small 500-acre area. The official name of the ranch is known as Skinwalker Ranch. There it is. There's an aerial. Because the Navajo believe that a shape-shifting demon known as the Skinwalker resides at that location. The Ute and Navajo stay away from this ranch even to this day. Bizarre incidents including vanishing and mutilated cattle, sightings of unidentified flying objects or orbs, <coughs> excuse me, large animals with piercing red eyes that couldn't be killed by bullets, and invisible objects emitting destructive magnetic fields. Robert Bigelow and the NIDS team, along with the scientists from the U.S. government, supposedly encountered evil supernatural phenomenon that to this day remains classified. There are reports that some of these scientists will never go back to the ranch and claim that things followed them back to their houses. Whatever happened with the NIDS investigation is a mystery, and Bigelow seems to keep it under wraps. So Bigelow sold the ranch in 2016, and as a result of what his team witnessed there, decided to devote the rest of his life to the question of what happens after death. So a very popular show on the History Channel, you may have seen this. Um, It's now ran for two seasons. They took over where Bigelow and the NIDS team left off. It was purchased by another wealthy individual. And they started this program where this is um, astrophysicist Travis Taylor. Um, He has worked at the Department of Defense and NASA for over 16 years, has a doctorate in optical science and engineering, a master's degree in physics, master's degree in aerospace engineering, master's degree in astronomy, and a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. And he is the lead investigator incorporating the scientific method, method. He and his team are trying to understand the strange phenomenon at the ranch and is documented on this television show. And I've I've seen almost all the episodes researching for this. During the show's two seasons, they have witnessed what can only be described as supernatural events that defy the laws of physics and cannot be explained. UFO sightings, spikes in radiation, ionizing radiation, which in one unexplained event, a very bizarre event, where they opened up a, like a, just a cistern top. 
um, the, the t- Travis Taylor there starts feeling really sick. He was just kind of standing there. They closed the top, and uh, next thing you know, in a couple of days, he had, he had uh, cancer spots on his face and his finger. And it got to the point he actually had, had to have surgery on his finger to have it removed, all from that one area. They had since came back a few days later. All the radiation was gone. That's unexplainable. Radiation half-life is like hundreds of thousands of years. So it makes no sense. But that's just one of the many weird things that happen in this area. Um, They see weird orbs. There was one episode where um, they were sitting around a campfire, and they heard something in the bushes. They went out there, and he, he described it as like a square golden box that was just dripping like gold off of it, just really bizarre. And um, then when they ran in to, to investigate it, it took off, and one of their cameras caught this weird thing going across the sky. Um, just, just tons of just really, really weird and, and bizarre things. Um, so why am I telling you about this place? Right? Obviously, we're tying this to the understanding that, that the government already knows, at least some people in government already knows this is demonic. But what's... More important is um, the conclusion that Dr. Taylor ends season two with. And I can't play the video. I wish I could. Um, But scientifically, he believes that this location in the Uintah Basin was an asteroid impact that possibly had created some sort of interdimensional wormhole. He brings up on a map the region of Babylon in modern-day Iraq. He points to this map and says, quote, According to the stories of the Bible, the prophet Ezekiel witnessed the sky open up with flashes of light and saw a ball of fire glowing like bronze. Well, that sounds very much like the phenomenon we experienced and documented on multiple occasions right here at Skinwalker Ranch over the last two years. Dr. Taylor goes on, quote, So Ezekiel was there, and suddenly he sees this thing coming in on a pillar of smoke and flame towards him. And he described it as having four wheels within wheels around it. And each of them had the likeness of an angel that moved so fast, he couldn't tell which angel was which. He goes on, I find that really interesting. We have locations that look almost identical in geological and physical structure, and they have these unusual things occurring there. He goes on to say, quote, many people believe that What is written in the Bible are merely just stories that were passed down through generations. But what if we are actually documenting evidence here on Skinwalker Ranch that gives possible credence to some of these stories? I find that breakdown incredibly intriguing, considering, you know, this is one of the foremost physicists that works for NASA and the government. I have to wonder, when Satan and his angels were thrown to earth, were they thrown down like asteroids creating impacts? Could these paranormal areas be literally where fallen angels impacted the planet? That's just a thought on on my end. Um, I'm going to skip through here because I still have a little bit more to cover. Satan is the mighty prince of the air, Ephesians 2.2 tells us. The Bible speaks of some very powerful demons. One of them was known as the Prince of Persia. 
In this unique scripture, the angel Gabriel reveals more than just a vision to the prophet Daniel. But what seems to be going on behind the scenes with with this powerful demon, so powerful that Gabriel needs the assistance of Michael, who was the prince of Israel, so to speak, to work together to defeat it. Let's read Daniel 10, starting in verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it, and it uh, concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, nor wheat or meat or wine, touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until all three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing in the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like glean of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were there with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard speaking, then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling, set me tre- trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he sent this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before Elohim, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the prince of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face towards the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my master, and I I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my master? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. Then he spoke to me. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my master, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. I find this account eye-opening and gives a lot of information and a glimpse into the spirit realm. We know that Daniel was very old here, probably, I think some scholars believe, maybe 90 years old. 
He prayed to Yahweh on day one, and it took Gabriel, which they believe this is Gabriel, it took Gabriel that long, 21 days, to get to him. Once he arrived, a frail Daniel is given strength and encouragement in the answer to the vision. When we see this angel giving much more information than he really needed to, if you think about it, explaining this to Daniel, why he was late. An angel doesn't really have to sit there and explain himself, right? But he's explaining himself. Did the angel feel guilty that he was late? Did being late contribute to the physical condition of Daniel? I mean, the man was 90 years old. He then tells Daniel he will return and fight the prince of Persia, obviously defeating him. Maybe because he now has Michael's help, which is like the most powerful angel in Yahweh's arsenal, probably other than Yahshua. He tells Daniel, which we know he's not, Yahshua's not an angel, but we're, we're talking about one of the most powerful beings. He tells Daniel he will fight another demon, the prince of Greece. We see here two realms working symbiotically. In the physical realm, there was also a physical battle going on in Persia. And then that battle moved to Greece. At the same time, we see spiritual battles taking place in the spirit realm. How that works, I don't know, but it's really interesting. Before I close, I want to put this whole thing in perspective. Satan and his angels have been defeated once and in a fallen state thrown down from heaven to earth where we dwell now. These UFOs we see are fallen angels and their capabilities might seem unbelievable when compared to man's weapons, but not to Yahweh. Yahweh and his angels, angels like Gabriel and Michael, are still in control. They are still fighting battles. You are not alone and need not be afraid of these things, but confident that Yahweh will not only protect you from these UFOs and other demonic and occult-type beings, but you also can have courage to stand against it and the evil. And we're going to need that as time goes on. Ephesians 6.13, if you'd like to close with this scripture. Therefore, put on the full armor of Elohim, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the good news of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of Yahweh. So I'd like to leave you with that encouragement. We know we're going to see a lot more things happen as uh, the time of the end gets closer. But again, we may not fully understand the spirit realm, but we know who controls it. May Yahweh bless you.